episode 128 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. It's go time, Democrats. Let's do it. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. Welcome to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Hahn. Of course, you knew that already. But I'm told I got to keep saying it, and I know I say that every week. (laughs) I don't want you to think this is a rerun. But thank you for liking, subscribing, downloading, sharing, telling your friends, tweeting about the podcast. We grow every week. And uh, I'm not advertising anywhere other than on other podcasts. So I assume you're spreading the word to your friends and family and loved ones and Twitter followers and Instagram and TikTok followers. And I'm not on TikTok. I think I should get on TikTok. I think everybody's like, oh, get on TikTok. It took, it's, I put so much work into Twitter, though, that I think I'm just going to stay there. And I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. I'm Christopher Hahn NY on Instagram. Uh, and I really do appreciate uh, all the support the listeners of this podcast have been showing me. So thank you so much. Great guest today, uh, Jim Kessler, who is the executive vice president at The Third Way, who is a former colleague of mine at Senator Schumer's office and who wrote Senator Schumer's uh, now infamous um, graduation speech, where if you live in New York State, particularly if you live on Long Island, uh, you've heard this speech at least twice in your lifetime. So uh, Jim Kessler will be on. Don't blame him. He wrote it and then he left Chuck's office and Chuck probably just thought it was such a great speech, which it was, that he wouldn't need another one ever again. So uh, don't blame Jim for that. So uh, I want to just start today kind of where we left off last week. It's go time for the Democrats. It's We're down to the wire here. It is the end of the quarter. The new fiscal year for the United States of America starts on October 1st. The Republicans are going to be obstructionist with the debt ceiling, even though Mitch McConnell has said on numerous occasions it would be crazy not to vote for the debt ceiling. Now, the debt ceiling is not about new spending, America. The debt ceiling is about old spending. So this is money primarily that was approved for spending during the former guy's administration. This is not stuff Biden spent. This is not the bill that the Democrats will be debating all week. Uh, you know, the infrastructure bill or the uh, or the reconciliation bill or what I would like to rather call the, the Build Back Better plan. I talk with Jim about this a lot um, on the podcast um, in, in the interview that's coming up in a few minutes. This is not about that. By the way, Democrats, and let me give you a little preview. We got to do better at discussing that plan because it's still, we're still just talking about the price tag. Oh, maybe it's a $2 trillion plan. Maybe it's a $2.5 trillion. No, first of all, most Americans don't even realize that this is a 10-year spending plan. So we're talking about whatever you're saying divided by 10. So $3.5 trillion, okay, it's $350 billion a year. Well, that's really not a lot of money in the big scheme of things. And I know that's, you know, conservatives might say I'm crazy for saying that. We spend $350 billion on weapons we don't even need. That's half of our military budget. Let's just put it that way. I'm okay with it. I think we move forward. We help some Americans. We help feed children. We put some vision uh, care in Medicare. We put dental in Medicare. We put hearing aids in Medicare so that our senior citizens who, who, who built this nation, whose shoulders we stand on, can hear and see and chew. Not a big deal. We want to make sure that children are not starving in this country. We've got to talk about these things better. I mean, are you listening to my podcast, Congress? I have the messaging for this. Talk about it the way I talk about it, the way Jim Kessler talks about it 
in his article in The Hill last week and how he talks about it on my podcast today, as he talked about it on my radio show last week. We have to discuss what's in it and who benefits. We have to, when we're talking about the debt ceiling limit, which, by the way, is ridiculous that we even have to vote on this. I I don't know why. We were one of only three countries in the world that have a debt ceiling vote separate from our budget vote. Every other country in the world, when you pass a budget, you assume you're going to pay for it either by revenue or by debt. I don't understand why it's any different here. Ridiculousness is what it is here. Because I'll tell you why. Because for most of our existence, it was no big deal. It has only become a big deal because Republicans don't want to govern. They want to burn this country to the ground and then blame the Democrats for it. And that's what's going on with the debt ceiling. That's what's going on with the former guy out there on tour lying. He lies. The entire world saw that the Arizona audit by the cyber ninjas came back with a result that was not favorable to Donald Trump. It actually showed that Biden increased in his margin of of, of victory slightly. Donald Trump goes down to Georgia to some backwater part of Georgia, by the way. Didn't go to Atlanta. Didn't go to Savannah. Didn't go to Athens. And he's like some place I'd ever heard of in Georgia because he didn't want to have protesters all over the place. You know, people aren't going to drive three hours to protest. Uh, I mean, the cult members will drive three hours. The cult members will drive five hours because they're in a cult. But, you know, I mean, I'm a protester. I'm going to get up. I'm going to ruin my Saturday driving three hours there and three hours back to protest some guy who should be irrelevant right now. But he lies to that crowd, says that the Arizona audit showed that he won big. (laughs) I mean, come on, America. The former guy is a liar and his followers are cultists. And as Liz Cheney said on Sunday night on 60 Minutes, he needs to go. And if they're not willing to let him go, they we should stop having Republicans. I, I don't know. They should call him the Trump party. But Democrats got to get serious. And I'm talking to you, Joe Manchin. I'm talking to you, Kristen Sinema. We got to get rid of the filibuster. They're not going to... Look, I dare Mitch McConnell. And I talk about this with Jim as well. So I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But I dare Mitch McConnell to try to stop the debt ceiling increase. Because... I'm sorry, Joe Manchin, Kristen, Kirsten Cinema. they're going to get calls from their donors and they are going to vote to end the filibuster to increase the debt ceiling. And that gives Democrats a little bit of a bargaining chip with them to say, let's just get rid of the filibuster altogether. And I get it. There is a point where Republicans will probably take control of the U.S. Senate again. And if they have control of the Senate, the House, and the presidency, they'll pass all sorts of crazy laws. I'm sure of it. But I also know that we won't have free and fair elections in a lot of places in this country if Republicans continue to obstruct the way people vote. So I would like to see the filibuster abolished so that we could pass real, strong election protection legislation. So that we could put some guardrails around the presidency so we don't repeat what happened when Trump was in his you know, uh, transition period. We have to put some guardrails around that. And the Congress needs to do it, and they're not going to do it with these jerks, Republicans filibustering every single thing. You would think they'd want to do it because Biden's president right now. They think they're going to become president. So put the guardrails around the presidency right now. 
it, it's uh, it's something that needs to happen. So I, I think that if Mitch McConnell is successful in filibustering the debt ceiling, I think there will be no more filibuster. I think that's how the filibuster dies. It's not dying, uh, you know, because we want to pass health care for people. It's not dying because we want to protect people's right to votes. No, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are going to get calls from the Chamber of Commerce saying we can't allow the economy to be destroyed. And that's what the Republicans are threatening by saying that they are not going to, to support a, an increase in the debt ceiling. They are threatening not just the United States economy, but the global economy. And I don't think anybody wants to see that happen in the Democratic Party. Joe Manchin, Chris, Kirsten Sinema, myself. I mean, I'm joking about the Chamber of Commerce, but not really. I'm not really joking about the Chamber of Commerce because the Chamber of Commerce should be running ads right now against Mitch McConnell for even suggesting that we are going to get rid of, he's not going to vote for the debt ceiling because that in and of itself sends shivers down the spine of the market. Now, quite frankly, don't don't be surprised if there's some funny business going on that Mitch McConnell's got some very rich friends who he says to, don't worry about it. The debt ceiling will be passed. I'm going to create a bunch of chaos for the next couple of weeks. Go buy low and then sell high when we pass the debt ceiling increase. Don't be surprised if there's some of that going on right now. I'm pretty sure there is. So anyway, I, I hope they try because we're not going to allow the bud- we're not going to allow the country to shut down and we're not going to allow the debt ceiling not to be passed. October 1st, new fiscal year. Republicans want to filibuster so that Democrats can't pass budgets and keep the government operating. They want to have a shutdown. Screw them. If they do it and Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema do not support a debt ceiling, uh, you know, sorry, do not support ending the filibuster to avoid those crises that the Republicans are manufacturing for Joe Biden because things are going too good. Um, screw them. If those two can't do it, we've got to figure something out. Uh, we've got to figure something out quick. So, all right. So I've got a great guest here, Jim Kessler. I don't want to spend too much time uh, taking away from him because he's great. I want you to hear this interview. Uh, if you've if you've never uh, heard of Third Way, they are a centrist Democratic organization, and they are supporting uh, the reconciliation bill, and they are supporting the bi- bipartisan infrastructure framework or the BIF. So uh, check out this interview with Jim, and then I'll be back to wrap it up. Joining me now, good friend of mine, who I haven't talked to in years, uh, Jim Kessler, is also a former AAT United States Senator Chuck Schumer, and he's a big shot at the Third Way. Jim, what is your title at Third Way? Are you running that place by now? I am the executive vice president. No sane person would ever have me run anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Jim is the executive vice president of Third Way, and he's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, as most of the people who I worked with at Chuck Schumer were. Uh, Jim, how you doing? I'm doing great. I mean, look, it's a nervy time down here. I mean, everything is in flux. It's up in the air. So, like, it's exciting, but it's nervy, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, you know, this, this, these bills, the BIF and then the budget framework, and every time I go on television, I'm like, this is not $3.5 trillion that are going to be spent tomorrow. It's $3.5 trillion over 10 years. It's $350 billion, um, which is a fraction of our spending. And there's some double counting in there, too, because it's like when we're having middle-class tax cuts and we're paying for it by raising taxes on wealthy people, you know, we're counting that trillion dollars that we're raising taxes and the trillion dollars that we're cutting taxes as $2 trillion Another way to look at that is zero. Yeah. I mean, it nets out to zero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wrote a great article 
uh, in the Hill last week. Uh, I've tweeted it out. Um, you should read it. Anytime Jim writes something and it gets into a major publication, you should re- you should read it because the guy knows what he's talking about. Um, about why wealthy individuals and corporations should be supporting this Democratic plan to raise taxes on the wealthy and 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 cut taxes on the middle class. You want to just walk us through that? Sure. Let me tell you my thinking process on it as well because. You know, there's going to be a reconciliation bill. It's going to be of some amount. I don't know what it's going to be right. at the end. And it's going to have a lot of things in there. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, I was thinking about in my organization, Third Way, was thinking about was if you looked at the American Rescue Plan, the first thing that Democrats passed, everyone could describe it as sex and vaccines, you know? Right. And this, I don't think people know how to describe it. Right. And... So, and that's a problem. Huge problem. All we talk about is the price tag. We never talk about what's in it. It's, 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 that's a recipe for disaster. And if you look at what's in how mainstream media describes the bill, and they don't mean to be, you know, positive or negative, just how they describe it, it's Democrats' massive social spending plan. And that's not, that is not a great selling point no. for much of the country. Ironically, it's also what Republicans call it. So I think that's a problem. A huge problem. The centerpiece of this legislation are massive, historic, middle and working class tax cuts through the child tax credit, through the earned income tax credit, through, through some Obamacare subsidies that go to working class people, through child care tax credit. These are tax cuts. So it would be great if... This bill was seen as a huge middle and working class tax cut because then it would be much easier to, you know, win public opinion in the long run and also to to win over members, to make it harder to oppose. Yeah, I thought it I thought it was both accurate about what the bill is ultimately going to do. And I thought the messaging was better on it. And so that's why I wanted a piece focused on those tax cuts. And look. We are Democrats. We're responsible. We think you should pay for things. How are you going to pay for these things? People at the upper end and corporations are going to pay some more. That is the price for these middle and working class tax cuts. And so let's be honest about that. Let people make that choice about whether it's worth it. And these tax increases are reasonable. And Wealthy people should be for them and corporations should be for them. Yeah, because it's going to just increase growth across the board. We've been, you know, we've been hearing these ridiculous stories for the last 40 years about how if you give, if you only give the rich people more money, the economy will boom. Well, it hasn't really worked out that way for working class and even middle class people in this country who've seen their income has basically been, been stagnant for the last 30 years. And also, Joe Biden, since he's been president, the economy is growing at an annual rate of 6%. That's pretty darn good. That's great. And the stock market has hit 50 all-time highs in 2021 alone. So if you're an investor, if you're a business, you're doing well too. So it's not a zero-sum game. Right. And have something that is very, very good for people who are working, people who are middle-income and lower middle-income, and you know, it can benefit business and the economy. And so I thought that that was an important thing to get across. Well, you've been doing a great job. You always communicate well. 
uh, and and you're really one of the better communicators in the party. I don't understand why they aren't coming to you to just you know call give this bill a, a name other than the three point five trillion dollar Democratic <laughs> spending plan, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. We're arguing over what it's going to cost, and you know I really like Joe Biden to say, okay, what do you want? Not you know to to Joe Manchin, what do you want to take out of the bill, Joe? You know I want to keep the middle-class tax cuts. I want to keep the child tax credit. I want to keep the dental and vision benefit to Medicare. What do you want to take out, Joe? Because your state's going to benefit greatly from it. I don't understand why we're having to talk about the price tag. Well, that's Democrats for you. Yeah. You know? I mean, let's let's talk about this, how we make the sausage. Forget how it's going to taste. Right. You know? You know, that, They're not even talking about, but uh, Jim, I wish they were talking about how they made the sausage. They're talking about what the sausage will cost after it's met, made. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, as you're watching it being made, which is disgusting, they're only talking about the price. Right. Yeah, it's not great. No, no, it's not great at all. I, but, I, you know, I'm watching Nancy Pelosi today with our former boss, Chuck Schumer, at her press conference. She, she really just seemed pretty confident, like, I got it. I'm getting it done. <laughs> so, I mean. Yeah. I mean. Don't underestimate Nancy Pelosi. No. Now, look, she's got it's a, this week coming up. It's it's difficult. You know, I, I'm sure at this point they do not have the 218 votes for the infrastructure bill. Well, they have it by, you know, Tuesday morning at 3 a.m. I don't know. But I mean, this is. You know, this is a high wire act. Jim Kessler, who is one of the smartest guys, wrote a speech that I've seen about 500 times in my life. Uh, Chuck Schumer was correct for that. <laughs> it's funny when I worked for Chuck, when I, when I worked for Chuck and, and Lynch, he told me to go get uh, a speech from you, uh, for graduations. And I call you up and you go, well, you know, you could write a paragraph of it. Just say, you know, insert here where the, the cool bar is and blah, blah, blah. And I put that stuff in and I would go to those things. I go, oh, well, Jim Kessler wrote it, but I wrote some of it. So now I, but, right. but after like, after the first year, I stopped saying that. I'm like, this is Jim Kessler. This is all Jim. <laughs> this is all Jim Kessler. It's like, but. Yes. It's, it's my lasting legacy in the Schumer office. It's the graduation speech written in 1998 yep. and still being given. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, but it, look, for those of us who've seen it a thousand times, it's annoying, but it's a great speech, which is why he has never retired it. Right. Like there is nobody. He has never had a better speechwriter than you. Right. In all of his time in the Senate and the House, he's never had a better speechwriter than you. So nobody's been able to replace it. I've seen him try to replace it, but he hasn't been able to. So. So anyway, for those of you who hate that speech and my producer is one of them who's seen it a million times. He just put it on the he just texted me right here and said, uh, I will forever hate this guy for this speech. (laughs) Don't hate Jim. He didn't expect it to last. 24 years okay it's not his yeah. fault not his fault I, I had no idea that this was going to be the one hit one year yeah you know? yeah this is your story of a girl literally it's it literally it is a story of the girl and you know that song story of a girl i went yeah. to high school with the guy who wrote that song this is your story of the girl <laughs> so, yeah. so so it's 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 a great speech and and that's a great song uh but so jim Let's talk about the BIF. Another thing the Democrats have named poorly, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Framework. Can we think of a better name? By the way, everybody on the right in the party, the conservatives, the moderates, they're all for the BIF. The BIF actually costs more than the reconciliation bill. 
in real dollars this year. So it's kind of like, it, it, it blows my mind how we shoot ourselves in the foot as a party. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of the things that has plagued us since, I, since at least I've gotten into politics. Look, I think we are, we get into the details deeply to our credit, and then we let the details swamp, you know, what we have to say and what, what voters hear. And, you know, it's a, it's a curse that we have. But yes, Biff is probably not the best name for a major piece of legislation that will change people's lives. There's probably a better name out there. Right. What would you call it? How about the jobs bill? Yeah. How about the jobs bill? Why are we calling the reconciliation bill the 3.5? Why don't we call it the Democratic tax cut plan? The middle class tax cut plan. You know, I mean, yeah. I, that's what that's what the Republicans would call it, even if they were raising taxes on the middle class to give money back to the rich. Right. Absolutely. It call, is the middle class tax cut plan. Yeah. Call it the Robin Hood bill. I mean, there's there's a million other things we can call it. And it's just it, it drives me. Why do you think we constantly do this? Is this product of the fact that we we really are a big tent party? Right. I mean, this is a party that uh, is equally Joe Manchin's party as it is AOC's and Bernie Sanders party. Is that why we can never agree on solid messaging? Yeah, I mean, if you look at, if you look just purely at the numbers, what makes up the Democratic coalition, generally when somebody gets elected nationally as a Democrat like Joe Biden, the slight majority of his or her votes are self-identified moderates right, plus some conservatives over liberals. So the natural impulse of a party that is made up of that diverse of an ideological blend is to argue. Right. That's what we do. The, the impulse of Republicans that when they get elected nationally, it's overwhelmingly conservative is to pull to the right. So, you know, those are the two, those are the two gravitational pulls of the party. One pulls apart and argues, the other pulls to the right. Right, right. And we are the arguing kind, I guess, in this president. Look, it's probably why I became a Democrat. I love to argue. Um, as you know, as you and I both know, we, we go on Fox News, but never together. You tend not to argue, which is probably why I do more Fox News than you do. Uh, you tend to just lay out the facts in a calm, rational matter. I tend to mix it up. Uh, and I always say, you know, people say, wow, you get all these hits. Uh, I go, yeah, because I'm entertaining and I like to argue. I'm not clearly not the smartest guy who ever worked for Chuck. Jim Kessler is far smarter than me and was far more important to the company. Uh, so it's. I don't know about that, but Fox won't have me on anymore. Why not? Stop. I, I thought, I mean, look, who knows? They don't tell you. Right. But, you know, my last few appearances on Fox, I thought I cleaned their clocks so badly that they just decided, well, that's it. You know, we don't need this guy. Yeah. And, you know, apparently they they watch their audience sort of by the second and they can measure when people turn off their TV. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe I'm somebody that gets people to, you know, switch to the ball game. Well, I'm not getting used as much as I used to, but they're still using me. Right. It's kind of weird. Yeah. They don't they used to use me 10 times a week. Um, now they use me, you know, once or twice a week. And it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's probably that. I think that in this divided country, people used to love to watch me and like, you know, Dan Bongino or Chris 
plant, fight it out, and now they just want to hear what they want to hear. I think that's really it. It's probably nothing to do with you or winning a debate. It's just, you're right. They measure the audience by the second, and these audiences are like, screw this, I'm going to go listen, I'm going to go watch Newsmax or something where they don't have any liberals on, even though Newsmax begs me to come on all the time, and I say no because they're too crazy. Right. Yeah, it used to be that Fox was just awful. Now it's horrid. Mm. So that's that's what happened. Yeah, I think it's I think it's getting bad. And um, you know, even the people who are te- who who used to be, you know, center right, have pushed to the right just for the audience. I, I don't I don't believe they believe it. I just think that they want the audience. And Tucker, who I used to do every week, I won't go on his show anymore. He's a nut, right? <laughs> you know. Right. And I uh, I got into a very celebrated. Uh, yelling match with Mercedes Schlapp about Tucker Carlson back in March. And, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. I watched that. I was very happy with your performance. I, and it is a performance. And that's what people have to understand <laughs> uh, to a big extent. All right, Jim, it's going to be a rough ride uh, in 2022 uh, politically for Democrats, especially with gerrymandering going on around this country. But I, I, why do I feel like we're going to pick up seats in the Senate? It, I, I just I, I'm feeling like it's not going to be as bad in some respects, and it's going to be horrible in others. So the first thing Democrats need to do is actually land all the planes that they have in the air right now. They need to pass the infrastructure bill. They need to pass a reconciliation bill. I don't know what the price tag is going to be, or, you know, the, that number that everyone's focused on, but they need to pass something. And obviously the debt ceiling needs to get done. So right. The first thing we have to do is take care of our knitting and get that done. And my warning to you know, I talk to the centrist Democrats, the moderates, more than anybody else. There is no path to a decent 2022 without passing all of the major pieces of the Biden economic agenda. You can't you, you can't have failure right. as part of it. If you look at 1994 and 2010, the last time Democrats had the presidency and the midterms, which were disastrous both times for Democrats, what happened beforehand was a major legislative defeat. In 1994, it was Hillary Care. In 2010, it was cap and trade. Yeah. So we we have to get our major pieces of legislation in whatever form across the finish line. Then I think, you know, I think the economy is going to be pretty good. Yep. And the Senate map is, you know, pretty decent. And, you know, we could... You know, we could hold serve there, and there's some some pickups, and you know, it would be nice to have our old friend Chuck Schumer be majority leader for another two years. It'd be great. So I think that's I think that's in the realm of possibilities. History says it's hard, but it's not impossible. Definitely not impossible. Hard, but not impossible. You're absolutely right. Now, you talk to these moderate lawmakers more than anybody, as you just said. Do you feel we will land these planes? I do. Um, And, you know, by the end of 2021, all three planes will land. I am certain. But I don't know when between now and December 31st, 2021. Like, the, the thing that I've seen in my 33 years in this town is that when Democrats try to move major pieces of legislation for at least... 90% 90% of the time, it looks like it's going to fail. Right. And it looks like it's going to fail publicly. And we have entered, starting this past weekend, with the bleak period where everything looks like 
it's going to die. Right. And I think there's going to be more near death, and there's going to be more Joe Manchin moments, and there's going to be more AOC moments. But in the end, we're going to get those planes down. Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, those three, I mean, they've got a lot of experience and a lot of support within the Democratic Party. I think they're going to get it done, but it's going to be ugly all the way. Yeah, I mean, look, it's going to be ugly, but you're right. I mean, they they really have no choice but to get it done. I don't think that, they look, I I always say the Ben Franklin line, we better hang together or we will surely hang separately. Um, and, And it appears to me that there are most of them know that. And Biden's been having the meetings at the White House. Uh, we'll see how how well those things go. Now, one other big chunk of legislation that could help us in 2022 is this voting rights initiative. Now, Joe Manchin put out a compromise bill. Republicans immediately said they ain't voting for it. Um, do you think that has any chance of passing? And, and you know, I, I know this sounds crazy, but hear me out. This Mitch McConnell, I'm not going to pass the debt ceiling nonsense. Um, If ever there was a reason to get rid of the filibuster, that's it. And that could lead, that could open the floodgates for all sorts of things if that happens. So I'd love to know what you think of that. Ironically, the only thing that could amend the filibuster is, I believe, in this Congress, is the debt ceiling. I do not believe it will happen on voting rights. Um, The reason why it could happen on debt ceiling is that the only way that you can pass the debt ceiling with 50 votes is through reconciliation. Okay? Yep. You cannot put the debt ceiling on this reconciliation bill. It will not pass the bird rule. So the only way you can pass it is through another reconciliation bill that they'd have to start from scratch and they they would be allowed to do that. But there's not but enough time. Either. There's, there may not be enough time and it's still going to have to get through the parliamentarian in such a way that you can also continue to do this reconciliation bill, the one that's got the tax cuts and the climate provisions and the health care. So it creates another wrinkle and if it looks like we're not going to be able to get this done in a 50-vote environment, then Republicans have to decide either to give Democrats their 60 or Democrats are going to have to um, do something on the filibuster. And and I think they would do something on the filibuster. And I, the, the question I have, and, and I think that'd be a good thing, frankly. I think if you got rid of the filibuster for this, the filibuster's gone. And now we could pass whatever we want. We could pass the, you know, John Lewis Voting Rights Act. We could pass uh, H.R. 1. We could we could pass right. the Joe Manchin bill, which has the blessing of a lot of voting rights activists like Stacey Abrams and others. I, I, right. I you know, I, I would love to call their bluff. I would love for Chuck to bring the debt ceiling to the floor tomorrow, have Mitch McConnell filibuster it, and then him overrule the chair and get rid of the filibuster. You probably need to get closer to that witching hour where the markets are going crazy and we're about to go down. Yeah. We either save the economy or save the filibuster. You choose. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't see how they choose 
the filibuster in that situation. I also think that Mitch McConnell knows that and he'll have to give him the votes, right? I mean, yeah, but McConnell always has something else up his sleeve. So plays then too. It is amazing to me how he holds that caucus together. I mean, it is he's got some moderate members in that caucus who just go right along with them, including people who are giving up their seats. I, I don't understand why they just go along to get along. Yeah, I mean, they do. And, you know, I think it's because over the previous decades, when push came to shove, he had their backs and and pulled their bacon out of the fryer on occasions. Right. And they just feel, I trust this guy. I trust his leadership. And your old Ben Franklin line, hang together or we certainly will hang apart. Yeah. Well, they definitely hang together in that Republican caucus. So in about a minute and a half I have left with you, what are you watching for over the next month or so? Uh, So much going on, so much strife. What signals are you looking for? I mean, I am really looking to see the negotiations begin in earnest to get to a final package on reconciliation. And what I'm hoping to see is as it goes on, a bit more trust between the most conservative wing of the Democratic Party and the most progressive wing of the Democratic Party. I'm, I'm looking to see inching closer to something in which there is believability that we all want to get to the same place. And what would give what would give you that hope? Like Bernie Sanders and Joe Manchin doing a joint appearance on Meet the Press rather than them going on separately? I'm not sure exactly what those words are, but the situation that we're facing Monday with the vote on the infrastructure bill and and you know separating it, you know, clearly from reconciliation is happening because the two sides do not trust each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's- and you know, like one of the things that, you know, again, like we are the third way, the centrist wing of the Democratic Party. We've said over and over again one bill is not acceptable to us. Right. Both bills are the, is the, are the only answer. And I think making sure everybody hears that and that everybody in the caucus is there is, is important, at least from our end. Well, that's important to America, too. Jim Kessler, executive vice president of Third Way. Jim, what's your Twitter handle? At Third Way Kessler. At Third Way Kessler on Twitter. I'll be tweeting him out. America, Jim Kessler is a gem. Trust me, you've heard his stuff. You've read his stuff, even if you don't know it. Jim, it's been great having you. All right. I hope you were listening to what he said. Check out his stuff. Check out Third Way. They're constantly writing uh, papers on different policies. They are a good group. Great group, actually. Uh, And Jim Kessler is a smart guy, man. I worked with him. I only worked with him for a minute at uh, Schumerland, but it was, well, it was a minute that stayed with me the entire six years I was at Schumerland because I heard that speech he wrote every single year, dozens of times. So it was, uh, it was definitely, uh, there was one weekend when I worked for Chuck, the first year I worked for Chuck where, um, I, I was his Long Island director and the body guy was getting married. So I had to, uh, travel with Chuck on Saturday to upstate New York to do graduations. And then on Sunday, we did like nine graduations on Long Island. So that weekend, two days, 15 times I saw that speech. <laughs> so it's, uh, Chuck was a hardworking guy. 
uh, wanted to see everybody, wanted to meet everybody. The number one thing people would say to him at carnivals when I worked for him is, you spoke at my graduation. So he's still a hardworking guy. And I know that now that he's in the leadership, it's probably, you know, it's probably killing him sometimes that he can't be at every graduation on Long Island. But, I'm, I, but I'll tell you this, he's probably still doing more graduations than any other member of the United States Senate. And he's the majority leader. So just just keep that in mind of who he is. He wants to be around people. He wants to talk to his constituents. He wants to hear from them. And of all the people in Washington who are disgusted by this current environment of it's, you know, my way or the highway politics and this vitriol that's out there, it's probably bothering Chuck the most because Chuck, Chuck, you know, the year Chuck, I worked for Chuck, uh, you know, that that when he got reelected in 2004. He got 72.5% of the vote in New York State. Now, I know if you live outside of New York, you're like, well, that's New York. Well, that was a record at the time. It might still be a record. And it was a record by a lot at the time, including, you know, getting 65% on Long Island. And if you know anything about Long Island, Long Island is pretty conservative. It is pretty conservative. Trump won Suffolk County. Chuck Schumer in 2004 got 64.5%. In Suffolk County, how, you're saying, Chris, how do you know that? Oh, it's, it's burned in my brain, right? Because I was working towards that goal. I was working towards that goal for five years, getting him to meet enough Long Islanders and work on policies that were important to Long Islanders in the suburbs uh, that we could get to 50. Because he was at, you know, when he when he ran against Al D'Amato the first time, Al D'Amato was from the suburbs and Al D'Amato won the suburbs. And it was our job to get Chuck to 50. We got him to 65. So, uh, and he, he did it by hard work and by understanding the issues important to Long Islanders and working on those issues. And he did that not just on Long Island, but in every corner of the state and upstate New York might as well be Alabama in some places as far as its political ideology. So I, I, you know, the person who's probably in Washington upset the most by this is Chuck Schumer, who wants to travel around this state, who wants to talk to his constituents on both sides of the aisle. He didn't want me to send him to some liberal love fest. He wanted to go out and talk to people who might not agree with him and try to convince them that he's working for them. And he did. And he was and he is working for them. So, you know, I hate to be, you know, the the Chuck Schumer, you know, uh, cheerleader, but I am a Chuck Schumer cheerleader. I, I think he's a great leader and I think he's a great senator and he cares about this country and he cares about the state of New York. So, uh, you know, it's got to be driving him crazy not to be traveling around the state. Well, he is traveling around the state, but, you know, this vitriol. I will tell you, though, this weekend I was out with my wife. Um, we were we were out at a restaurant and we were sitting outside and I had the puppy with me. I had Nala with me. I can't bring Summer uh, out to eat because she gets a little crazy around other dogs. Nala, you know, doesn't. She doesn't get crazy around other dogs. And if she ever gets crazy, I just pick her up because she's still, you know, small enough that I can pick her up. And people were stopping by to pet the dog and, you know, hey, I love the puppy. And they were all looking at the puppy and uh, a guy came up to me and said, hey, you're Chris Hahn. And I was like, wow, I got recognized. I had sunglasses on and shorts. I was not dressed. I was wearing a hat. And and he was nice. He's like, look, I don't agree with your politics, but I love seeing you. It's the same thing you always hear. You hear it every single time. So, uh, you know, people do surprise you. You know, you get out of the Twitter sphere. You get out of the uh, day-to-day combat of politics and you talk to real people 
and I don't know, I don't think his people are as mad, but I am worried that there is a storm of brewing and that the Democrats are not taking it seriously. The Republicans are. They are passing restrictive voter laws in many states. And forget about the restrictions. I can lobby around some. I can lobby. I can organize around some of those restrictions. But you can't organize around a rule where the legislature could just say, nah, we don't like the way the vote came out in that county. We're going to change it. That you can't organize around. And there's too much of that going on. So that's why we got to kill the filibuster. And we got to end that nonsense. Everywhere. We gotta make sure that people's votes count. And we gotta make sure people have access to voting. And, and and it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't take you eight hours to vote. It should take you forty five minutes. It shouldn't be easier to get a pizza delivered to your house anywhere in the country than for you to vote. So all right, make my day, Mitch McConnell. Filibuster the debt ceiling. See what happens to you. Good luck with that. All right, on that note, I am going to remind you, as I always do, to seek the truth, question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth, America. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.